0: Bookshop, the George Street Community
1: Bookshop podcast, for book lovers everywhere. Welcome to In the Bookshop, the George Street Community Bookshop podcast, recorded in the actual bookshop. So uh, this bookshop of ours, uh, George Street Community Bookshop, you can find in Glossop, a very lovely old mill town in between Manchester and Sheffield. My name's Steve Roberts, by the way, and uh, just about each month we invite some uh, Very lovely guests in to talk about their favourite books. Maybe dig around our shelves and find one that they love. Our guest today is a blogger, the founder of the Manchester Book Club and also a volunteer here at the bookshop, Lucy Rock. Hello, Hello. Lucy. How are you?
0: I'm very well, thank
1: you. So you're a very busy person. You're you're a mother, you own a business, you blog about books and you volunteer here. You must like books.
0: I do quite like books, yeah. Um... My readings kind of dipped down since we had baby, which is probably hardly be surprising for anybody. But uh, it's the main way that I unwind now of an evening, when you finally get kids in bed. Uh, I don't know what I would do without it, to be to be
1: honest. So what we'll do is uh, you've decided uh, some of the books that uh, mean a lot to you, and we're going to talk about them. So I don't know if you want to tell us about your first one.
0: Yeah, I mean obviously it's really really hard, as any book lover will know, to choose. I've gone for five. Because I just think it sounds like a nice, a nice number to have. There are so many books that I love, um, but I've tried to go for five that kind of are representative of the kind of books that I read at the moment. So the first one I was going to talk about is *The Goldfinch* by mm-hmm. Donna Tartt, um, which is a book that I think it definitely won the Pulitzer Prize. I think in 2014, and we actually read this for Manchester Book Club, and it's very very telling that despite the fact that it's 8 or 900 pages long everybody read it right you know it's it's tough going when you're in a book club and you've got other life commitments and work commitments and you know other books to read um so the fact that everyone managed to finish it i think and and loved it as well you know go says you know say it speaks volumes really um but it's basically a modern coming-of-age story, which usually, I don't know, coming-of-age stories, I think, for a woman in her 30s, I always think they're, they're probably more attractive to people who are perhaps a little bit younger. Um, but it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's about a boy called Theo Decker, who lives in New York with his mother. And one day, um, during a rainstorm, which is rather apt, given today's weather, um, they take shelter in the Met... Uh, the Metropolitan Museum of New Art. oh yeah. yeah. Um, because his mum wants to look at a, uh, a small painting, which is actually a, a painting in real life, called The Goldfinch. And while they're there, a bomb goes off. Um, it's a terrorist attack. And in the moments after the terrorist attack, whilst the smoke's clearing and the emergency services are trying to get to them, Theo, who's miraculously come away pretty unscathed, um, Two things happen. First of all, he meets a, a man who's lying, dying on the floor, who gives him a ring and asks him he if he will give it to his uh, work colleague who works in an antique store in another part of New York, which, funnily enough, then opens up a whole other other section later on in right. the novel. But the main thing that's happened uh, that happens is he steals the painting. He has no reason why he's doing it. He just feels compelled to save it in some way. Um, his mother dies, in sadly, in the terrorist attack. Um, but the rest of the book basically deals with the next ten years of his life. By the has,
1: fallout of this day.
0: Well, he has the painting, but nobody knows he has the painting. Right.
1: Um,
0: so, at first he goes to live with some friends and their family who are quite well off. Um, and eventually he then goes to f- stay with his father, who lives with his girlfriend in Las Vegas, all the time having the painting not telling anyone he's got it. Um, but... It's not, until, I don't want to spoil it too much, until the very end, the, the painting doesn't take too much of an active role, but it's always this kind of, you've always got this kind of level of anxiety in the background. Even if he's not thinking about it outwardly, She's just a genius. I don't know how she does it, but the tension that she creates in the novel just throughout it...
1: So it was A Secret History? Was a, a best Yes, and I haven't reason. read
0: that yet, and yeah. I'm really excited because apparently that's even better than yeah. this. Um, but even though it's a few years ago that I read this, the portion in Las Vegas, I just remember just being really cold and clinical and stark and... Just the atmosphere to it. It's just fantastic to read about a place that, when you think Las Vegas, you just think casinos and things. You don't actually think about the people who actually live there. Um, He has a friend who's hilarious called Boris, and they both take drugs and get up to mischief together. Um, And he has the painting taped to the back of his headboard uh, so that nobody finds it. Um, And it's incredibly sad because, obviously, as time goes on, you realise that this painting is more than just a painting to him. It's not he hasn't got it because it's worth money. He's got it because of the link that it has to his mother. Right. so we have this big section in Las Vegas. Eventually, he moves back to New York, where he goes to work with the chap who was the colleague of the older chap who he met in, during the bomb, if that makes, makes sense. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's such a big, it's such a huge novel that it's hard to kind of summarise. Um, and that's a whole different section that has a kind of cozy, warm feeling to it. The chap that he goes to work for, who's called Hobie, um, is a really fantastic role model. You kind of really want Theo to make something out of his life but he never kind of really gets there Um, and again I don't really want to spoil it by by saying too much but it eventually kind of escalates and as I say the painting takes on more of a kind of primary role and the the last probably quarter of it is quite dramatic in comparison with the rest of the book Um, but really it's just this ever-pervading kind of anxiety and it's the anxiety of growing up and the grief of losing your mother and the different role models that you try to find to to replace it, and it's just it's it's an amazing book
1: i haven 't read the book, yeah, but I was reading i, I was looking at well, Wikipedia really <laughs> because i haven 't read the book i on Goodreads and things like that yeah. to, to have, have a look and a lot of not a lot, but some of the reviews said it 's almost like a children 's book, but for adults, so it's there's something as an adult you can go back and do you, did you get that at all? Maybe if that's the part where you say a 30-year-old woman reading a coming-of-age
0: Yeah, story. I mean, I've never really been into the classic kind of coming-of-age stories, so I suppose I just surprised myself by appreciating this. And I wouldn't say a children's book, but, I, you know, a teenager reading it, I think, would get a lot from it. it right. You know, it's and it covers a huge portion of a of a young man's life you know from being a young i don't know how old, i can't remember how old he's supposed to be when the bomb goes off maybe 12 13 right right the, the way up into his early 20s so because it spans that that amount of time he's dealing with relationships you know, friendships. Obviously, he's got this extra level of grief. He's got this anxiety about the painting. He's got his father's waste of space, his father's girlfriend. I seem to remember that I think they're drug dealers and it's just, you know, slightly more complicated than the rest of us. But essentially, he's he's just a boy who just needs to find his way and is kind of scrabbling around trying to do it. And he obviously has these other elements that make life more complicated for him, um, but it's a fairly universal story, I suppose. It, I can't recommend it enough. It's fantastic book. I gave it five stars on five, Goodreads. So there you go. I actually went back. I gave it four stars when I first read it, and then two years down the line went back and gave it five stars because wow. I realised that I'd not read anything quite as good since.
1: You mentioned your book group. Yeah. There's, how long's the book group been, been going? Since two thousand and twelve. So you've been running it yourself for six years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It. So, yeah, I mean, because we've all kind of... Everyone's kind of growing up and having families and things, it's quite nice now because it's a group of friends, really, and we all go and have a drink and have something to eat and chat about the book. And sometimes you can have a meeting like we had for this where we all loved it, we spoke for, like, an hour and a half, everyone missed the trains. And sometimes you get books that might be good, but you just can't... Just doesn't connect Yeah, but it doesn't really matter because we have fun anyway. Mm. And inevitably, you know... Chat kind of veers out into other books, and
1: right. if anybody wants to join your book group, how would they? What, what do they do?
0: They we're incredibly full at the moment, but right. if they email me, they can join my waiting list and okay, I'll let them know So if they meeting. if
1: they go for Manchester book,
0: uh, if you just Google Manchester Book Club, I oh. think we're like the third okay. option on Google. But obviously, there might be the option in the future for us to have have a book club in Glossop. Well, let's, let's hope and so. And if we do, then. They can contact They can read 800-page books? And- yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my next book is Goodnight, Gorilla. Another girl go. <laughs> I've just realised. Um, it would seem ridiculous for me not to include a children's book because, quite frankly, the majority of what I read these yeah. days is a children's book. And it's just a shame that I can't legitimately include them on my Goodreads score because I'd absolutely smash it because I read them all.
1: You've reviewed it on your, your blog, haven't Didn't you? Did I? I Literally, relish. dot relish.com, is it? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Relishreads.com. Oh, relishreads. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I forgot, actually, I'd done that. Um, my little boy, I basically panic if I hear of a, a good... A good book, and he doesn't own it. I feel like <laughs> he's deprived. He's got to have it. new you, you know. Uh, so I hunt down everything, and I could have gone for, you know. We love Judith Kerr; she's amazing. Yes. All the mog books, and yes. obviously Julia Donaldson is com- some kind of freakish genius. And so we've got all of those. But Goodnight Gorilla, I don't. Have you ever heard of it?
1: Uh, I have heard of it, and have I don't. But I don't think. We had it for my girls, no, so well, I but we ne- had loads, so it's possible.
0: Well, I never heard of it, but I'd seen on it, it, it on lists. But now that I've looked at it, I actually think it's more of an American classic because right. uh, none of my friends who have toddlers have heard of it. And anyway, when I got it, um, just on a bit of a whim, I didn't actually realise that there hard, there's hardly any dialogue in it or words. It's just
1: good night, real.
0: <laughs> I know, but. <laughs> And when my son was one, which is probably around the time that I got it, this sounds really lazy, but, you know, night time, even if you're not a great reader, nighttime tends to be the time when most people read to the kids. And, you know, it is useful to have a few books that are good night, you yeah. know, go to sleep now kind mm-hmm. of books. Um, but the effort that it took to a one year old for me to kind of make it interesting and, you know was was quite hard but as he's got older it's just amazing so I'll tell you the very simple story there's a zookeeper um, he's going around locking the zoo up and saying goodnight to all the animals the first animal that he comes to is the gorilla who steals the keys off the back of his belt um, the gorilla then follows the zookeeper as he says goodnight to all the animals around the park and unlocks all the cages and all of the animals gradually follow the zookeeper all the way home Upstairs and into his bedroom, he doesn't notice. He gets into bed and says good night to his wife. And when his wife says good night, dear, all the animals go good night, good night, (laughs) good night, good night. And then she has to get out of bed because her husband's still not noticed. Which is the little bit that I enjoy. You see, for a good kids' book, you have to have two levels. It has to work with the parents as well. And she marches the animals all the way back. Uh, but when she goes back home, she doesn't realise that Gorilla and his little mouse friend are still there and they go into bed together. And it's just brilliant because at night, I, it's been the most successful goodnight book by far because I'm not bombarding him with a wall of words. Yeah. We have more of a kind of relaxed chat about what's going on in the pictures. And even if when on first reading, you don't think that anything much is going on in the pictures apart from, you know, the, the main action. But as you, when you read it about two hundred times as I've done, you notice the little details yeah. in the background, and it just has a lovely lulling effect. I mean, it's a lovely story anyway that they look after the animals and they all want to go home, and, you know, go to bed, and bed in the bedroom. Then the gorilla snuggles in at the end, and it, you know, it's very cute. But it's. Um, so my son, for example, was fixated on the moon. The moon's in every single picture. So we just talked about the moon yeah. on every single picture. And I found myself yawning as well, <laughs> thinking, oh, I'm going to sleep myself now. But it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's, uh, it's been the perfect goodnight story. And it, it's funny as well. You I make- get the impression she has to do this every night.
1: Right, it wouldn't surprise me. You're making me, though, want to go back and get my daughter and tell her <laughs> a story from when yeah. you know. Aww. From when she's fifteen now, she'll be doing the makeup and she'll let yeah, me yeah. that kind of thing. Like, just, there's pictures in it's, it's beautifully illustrated as well. Yeah,
0: it's a lady called Peggy Rathman, and if you yeah. Google it, um, I mean it's quite old school. They did an animation of it, and it's just it's exactly, it looks exactly the same as the book. And it's got some lovely kind of jazzy music to it. Right. But, yeah, I just think it's hilarious. The bit where she trudges the animals back to the zoo, you can tell from her demeanour that she has to do this every night. So I definitely recommend it to anyone who's got a difficult toddler. In the Bookshop, the George Street Community Bookshop podcast for book lovers everywhere.
1: Talking of this shop, you volunteer here. what What is it? You've become invaluable Oh, and there you nice are sorting Steve. out <laughs> Lucy is sorting out <laughs> Upstairs so we don't have to see her You're not allowed to talk to, to her talk upstairs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Although if you want to buy a book of course You can buy a book
1: And she, and she knows more <laughs> than, than me about the books But uh, So what, what what are you doing for us Upstairs tell everybody what you're doing up there. Uh,
0: The moment I come in on a Thursday Morning and I try and make sense of The upstairs room which is basically Pretty much all of the non-fiction um, When we took on the shop. I think you'll agree it was a bit of a a mountain, and there were yes. just piles of books everywhere. You couldn't get to the shelves. So at the moment, until we have new shelves and stuff, and and it's just trying to make sense of things, so that if people come in looking for a certain type of book, be it travel or sports or you know self help books or whatever, that they can at least find it and make some sense of it. Right, what's your next book? Gone with the wind. Oh, what? Which is a little bit embarrassing. It's a bit controversial,
1: really, isn't it, it is
0: a bit controversial. Yeah. It's my favourite book. Oh. And it's a bit surprising to people who know me. A, because I'm not very romantic or, you know, I'm not into that kind of... The famous, you know, Clark Gable, Vivian Lee swooning posture just doesn't go with the way that I am at all. Um, and also, obviously, as you said, it's a bit of a controversial book. Yeah. It's told from the plantationers' point of view. The slaves in the book, doing all, yeah, they're doing all right, really. They're pretty placid. It's all a bit of a this civil war malarkey. It's just a bit of an inconvenience, really. And isn't Scarlet lovely? She really looks after us. But, you know, I just think that it was written in the 1930s. I don't know, I, I had a bit of a Google about this actually and I've, I've done it a few times to kind of see what Margaret Mitchell's own personal views on it were but I think she's just telling a story from a certain point she of view. She only wrote one book, didn't she? She just only wrote, wrote that, well you would if you've seen the size of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be exhausted. So we know the
1: film, is the film the same as the book? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Right. And, and it's, us a, yeah, and it's just
0: as long. So you have got Scarlett O'Hara who is basically a bit of a spoiled brat who um is the daughter of a plantation owner called uh, the plantation's called Tara and it's based in Georgia, I think, but if I'm if I confess that all the southern states end up kind of merging into what it confuses me a little bit. She loves a boy called Ashley Wilkes, who is the son of another plantation owner who is entirely inappropriate for her. He's very straight-laced, pretty dull. He's also straight-laced and dull in the film. They did a very good job of kind of matching it up. And she's heartbroken when she discovers that he's going to marry um, a lady called Melanie, who's very well-suited. She's also kind of plantation owner's daughter, and she's very straight-laced and all the rest of it. Anyway, time goes on, and she comes across a chap called Rhett Butler, Who is a bit of a cad. Yeah. He's been kind of disowned by his family for some dodgy dealings that we never quite, we're never quite sure what he did. Um, But he's pretty rude and disrespectful. Um, But he obviously has a little bit of a spark with her.
1: Well, you know. He's a a scalawag, scalawag, isn't
0: he? I don't know why. I don't actually read massive books, but for some reason, two of the books that I've chosen are absolutely (laughs) humongous, and to begin to try and give you a synopsis. But basically, you know, their relationship kind of comes together and and goes apart as as they go off in their lives and do different things. The Civil War breaks out, um, and they're brought together for various different reasons, and they end up having a relationship... We don't know whether they No love,
1: we don't know what happens. It's very we?
0: well it's very complicated. Do mm. they love each other? Do they hate each this is the beauty of Gone with the Winds.
1: So is that um, what, what is that what drives your love for it? You, I don't they,
0: I don't I love historical fiction. Right. I know that this is a difficult book because it's told from a certain point of view, but I think it's a valid point of view. I think you've got to take especially a book that was written, you know. As soon it'd be getting on 400 years ago it's mm. still a valid point of view literature is a part of of history okay we know we know you know what the slaves yeah. went through because it's not here doesn't make it any less valid you know what i mean yeah. i know i'm kind of treading on difficult ground here but you know so and i know nothing or knew nothing about the civil war and because i'm a massive geek reading this just made me go on wikipedia black holes you know fact checking let's make sure let's make, was that war because this is you know it's a very kind of dramatic romantic story so you're like did, did this battle happen here and then and it's and it's fascinating i shouldn't expect people you know children in this country to be taught it really it's not our history is it but it's just the relationship is just she they're both awful people really she is shallow and selfish um, and he is arrogant and also selfish so they're made to be together
1: but they're kind but of they're, young aren't they
0: but they're also well, they're well, also is, quite admirable in some ways because once the kind of the plot develops you know at the moment she, at the beginning she's just a sport brat but then when she's eventually left on her own at the planta- at the family plantation and she looks after herself and her family and the slaves who who work for them I don't know whether that's the right term for slaves, or it, that's the way it's written. Oh, they're really happy. Well, yeah. I,
1: I, I think they're not slaves in the end, are they? But they decide to stay because they enjoy it. because they love it so. Because much. they think she's, she's, so, nice, know, so yeah. nice. But they're not. I don't. I I haven't read the book. I, was, I saw the film a long time ago, and I can't. I can't remember. Um, but I think are they free? Yeah, the because it, it was well, the Civil, civil war. war, and it's but, the part. It's the but the house yeah. slaves. Who could leave don't. All all, no. all all those in the fields do it.
0: Yeah. But she she makes the most of a horrendous situation as a woman, a young woman on her own who's very, very vulnerable. And although there's lots to argue that she's not a particularly admirable character, she is in some way. She's a strong woman making the most of a terrible situation and she's admirable for that. You can't deny it. And he, for all his arrogance and he profites, you know, from the situation, he doesn't go off to fight until kind of getting towards the end of the book. Um, He criticises society and the hypocrisies and the snobberies. And you agree with him in a lot of points. And he shuns attitudes, old-fashioned, outdated, Old South, in quotation, attitudes, and and you find yourself agreeing with him. And at the end, it's kind of, you, you, it's left up in the air whether he's left to kind of better himself, to find something better for him. You know, there's obviously something going on there. He's not as shallow as it, as it kind of first seems. He's, he's a deeper person than that. And when you've got a book that long and you're a decent writer... The amount of kind of detail. You've got to be careful. I'm reading A Suitable Boy at the moment. This is going off on a tangent. And I'm, it's good book, but it's taking a long time for me to read it because just nothing much is happening. Mm. Whereas this is a thousand pages of stuff. So this happening. is the second
1: I realised this. Now, now, this won the Pulitzer Prize as well. It did. Well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: 1938
1: been nineteen thirty eight. 1937. Oh, close close oh, enough. Year off. If we have cigars, yeah, we could yeah. have one. But so, point so you so like, you like your literature real, dear? Or, or are you? Would you say it's all that you're a book snob or do you just like anything? Um,
0: mm, yeah, I probably am deep down. I'd like to yeah. say I'm not. Yeah. But I t- tend to read literary fiction. Right. There's I nothing say. wrong
1: with that. I mean, I I, I would like to read. <laughs> My partner
0: is a book snob. <laughs> but he won't read anything after 1970 <laughs> at a push.
1: Um, if I was in the world, it's not going to be read.
0: <laughs> do you know what I've realised? I, I, I've realised, and do you know, it's the book club that's done this. I like a good story, which sounds like a stupid thing to say, but when you read, especially when you read literary fiction, especially when you read very modern literary fiction, there's a lot of books that are just a little bit, Vague. I'm trying to think of a um, something that I've read that's a little bit like that. But I, j- I just like a bit of action, and this has got tons of it. It's got right. battles. It's got romance. It's got arguments. It's got people dying, <laughs> people giving birth. And I just, it's, it's just a really good romp. It's like, it's I like, think they call
1: it a romp, don't they? Yeah, maybe, maybe it's like a, a, a really good soap opera or something. Yeah, yeah
0: but well written. Yeah. I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning to, to finish this. and I, oh, I do that with the worst I've not books done as it well. Since, no, I just, <laughs> I just fall asleep otherwise. So to keep me awake, it must be good. So Fantastic. throw aside your snobbery. I know it's a bit embarrassing, especially if it's got the Sweeney picture on the front, but, oh, it's good. My penultimate book is a book called Burial Rights* by a lady called Hannah Kent, which was shortlisted for the Baileys Prize, I believe. I have no idea why she didn't win it, because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But... It's one of these books that if I have a book like this on my radar, I think, oh, this sounds like I'm really going to like it. I'll treat myself to it and then I won't read it for two years. I'll wait for the hype to die down. Right. And I'm worried. I understand that. It's just so that. Pathetic, I understand I'm that. worried that yeah. once I've read it, I'm either going to hate it or just be disappointed and then it's over.
1: Right.
0: You know, and I don't want to be disappointed, uh, but this doesn't disappoint. It's historical fiction, which I've already said I absolutely love. Yes. Um, but it's the best kind because it's based... There are lots of historical fiction where it's just based in the time period, which is fine. That's enough for me. I love it. Um, I like to feel like I'm being transported back somewhere and I like to learn something about, you know, periods of time. But this is based on an actual event. Uh, It's based on the execution of a lady called Agnes Magnus Dottier, who was the last person to be executed in iceland in i thought it was 1833 but then i read something before and it said 1820s but whatever
1: 1829 i think that's
0: pretty good going i mean i think we were executing people right up into the 20th century so uh you know that's pretty good
1: but everybody would know somebody wouldn't they in iceland
0: yeah yeah i suppose so (laughs) because
1: they carried on doing it (laughs) get round to you in the end sorry Um, anyway carry on
0: so Hannah Kent has taken, you know, and she really has done done her research. She's taken all the kind of record official records of the crime, you know, and um, when she was executed and how and what she did kind of in the, you know, time between being arrested and getting executed. But she's filled in the gaps and told her own story and kind of trying to have an idea, you know, of what actually happened. So basically it tells the story of... Agnes, who's been accused of murder, they've set a date for her execution and she's sent to live on a, a homestead, I suppose you would call it. It's kind of like a crofty, farmy type right. thing that people in Iceland, most people in Iceland, that's the way that they lived at the, at the time, kind of trying to live off the land. But it's incredibly bleak and incredibly hard, as you can imagine. But she goes to live with this family. So it's the mum, the dad and two gr- older daughters. And you can imagine how they feel about having a murderess come and live with them. Oh yeah! But this is a real event; this happened. Uh, but she is kind of imagining how they would have felt to have this woman come, and they all live in one room because it's so freezing, and because they're all impoverished, they all live in these tiny kind of wooden huts. They all sleep in bunk beds within kind of inches of each other. Um, and I love that kind of historical detail. Again, I go into a bit of a Wikipedia like hole, like. Was the was the roof actually made of this? <laughs> this is how
1: nerdy I am. You do you fact check. Does then, she you do know?
0: But yeah, but well then if I know that she's gone to the effort, I think well, you know, there's yeah, some yeah. real kind of substance yeah. here. So we've got this side of the story, and then they send a minister to go and speak to her to basically get her to whether they want her to, to confess or just come to terms with the fact that she's going to be she's going to die. Um and it's really clever device because it means that the author can flip between the modern day and she tells the minister her her history from being a little girl and moving around from, from homestead to homestead with her with her mother um and right up until the murder itself and it's just brilliant because you kind of dip and dive a reader you're kind of like did she do it no she didn't do it well she did do it but she must have had a good reason for it right. and you constantly it's so clever you're constantly you kind of because her of it yeah because of her behavior you're yeah. thinking oh actually i don't know whether i like her or not oh no i do like her she's she's just done something really nice um and it and it's just it's brilliant so you get that side of it you also get the kind of atmospheric ice. It's the perfect scene—a scene for a murder. I know that a lot of crime... I'm not into crime fiction, but there's a bit of a wave of, like, Scandi. I know, oh, I'm sorry, What Oh, you I know, I know. But it's Scandi... I don't know whether you read any Scandi. I've read, like, I've read a few. But it's quite popular, isn't it? Yes. And it, you know, it lends itself to... Yeah, yeah. It's, to, you know, the weather alone. is uh, just pathetic fallacy, you know, all over, isn't it? Grey skies and just ugh, thunder and... and, and
1: no metaphors else, are it? needed at all no. in Scandi crime fiction. No, they're all...
0: But uh, also, she makes an important point about what it's like to be a woman living in Iceland at that time. You know, there's a lot of, as you would imagine, engendered violence. Her mother basically has her out of wedlock by some owner of some homestead and she just moves from homestead to homestead as a labourer and once the owner of the homestead is basically sick of her so he's sick of sleeping with her he gets rid of her and moves her on and that seems to be kind of reality for a lot of women and there's also obviously the constant threat of being attacked in that way and also there's the way that Agnes is now, I don't know, I wanted to find out a bit more and didn't have time to... T- I think I did a lot of reading around it at the time, but I w- I'd like to go back and, and read real descriptions of Agnes, Magnus She is a woman of a certain age. I think she's probably in her 30s in the novel. She has no children, shock horror. No. She's not with a man, shock horror. And she's intelligent. And because of these things, people are suspicious um, she has two co-conspirators, or co-accused. Um, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, but it's not too massive, massive a one, but there's a, another woman involved who is much younger and pretty and a bit stupid, and she's quitted. And even though there is no
1: real reason... Yeah, that's really upsetting you, isn't it? Well, you, but it says something. You could something, have seen her face. Oh, oh.
0: <laughs> but... You know, it just shows the kind of all all the people in charge in this novel are obviously men. It's 1820s right. so Iceland. It's well,
1: all the books you've chosen so far are written by women. Are you oh, conscious I of that? Yeah.
0: No, no, wasn't. Just My last one out. isn't, though. So that really well, there we go. you just spoiled
1: yeah. you? Yeah. He's gone early. He's yeah. a man who's gone early. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, no, I didn't even think mm. of that. And actually, I'm making it sound as though she really kind of rams the the female issue down your throat. She doesn't, but it's it's when you stop. When you sit down and think it's about important. it after you've read it, it's part of the story. Another interesting
1: um, thing, saying I think when Simon and I, Simon's here saying nothing. He uh, made so I, many
0: notes. It's, I'm just, I'm just listening. You know, he he gave
1: me the notes. He, he's the, he's the quiet hand. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, but you are talking about you are reading it, and you can, you can Google things, can't you? And yeah, you can yeah. check facts. We were talking about when we're reading books, and you can, you can look up. The songs that they're playing, you know, and so you can oh, have a yeah, you can have yeah. a so the reading of books has changed a bit, hasn't it, the way people interact with No, I don't know. Books.
0: I would recommend it if you don't, but there's a little magazine called The Happy Reader that right. Penguin Penguin <coughs> Classics publish it in conjunction with someone else. Now, it, they used to do it quarterly. I was really gutted when they started doing it biannually. But right. anyway, in the last edition they always have a book right. that you've got to read for the next edition. Just to put a bit more pressure on you. Yes. Um and then they'll have really interesting little articles kind of around it. But anyway, one of the articles was about the fact that that doing precisely that, so you, you write you read a paragraph and then you cut off to listen to a song, or you it makes you think of something else and you go off and have a Google and you think what you're doing is wasting your time and distracting what from you're reading reading. Is going deeper. but all you're doing is is reading more widely mm. and and it all adds to the reading experience, and yeah. it was kind of, you know, putting forth the opinion that that is what the reading experience. Yeah, because I go to
1: maps and things. So if I'm there, and if yeah. say it's in Australia, yeah, I go, I go on on, on the maps on my computer. and, yeah. and, and you I go learn. and have a look. At, and
0: okay, you know, you might not have read you thirty pages or whatever, but that's not what reading's about yeah. nowadays. And I, especially since having my son, I've kind of just taken the pressure off a bit because I used to read a lot. And I, I get more out of it that way, you right. know. I don't put any... You know, I've been reading A Suitable Boy for, for many, many months now. am <laughs> not putting any pressure on myself. When I want to stop, I will stop. In The Bookshop, the George Street Community Bookshop podcast for book lovers everywhere. The final <laughs> book, Steve, I cha- in fairness, I did change it. It was written by a woman. Um, I was going to discuss uh, a book called A Croft in the Hills mm. that myself and my partner read, um, a few years ago now but then when I realised, when I started to sit down and think about it, I didn't feel like I could do it justice. Uh, the book I'm going to speak about which is called A Cat in the Window uh, by a chap called Derek Tanji. I'm going to link them together but you'll see what I mean. So anyway I'll start with Derek Tangy. Uh Derek Tanji it's someone I go on and on and on about. And I have actually written a review for the George Street uh, magazine as well. I just like to ram him down people's throats. Um, he used to work for MI5. This is back in like 40s and 50s. And his wife was the head of PR for the Savoy Hotel. And one day, they just decided that they were sick of it. And they left and they bought a cottage with a dirt floor in Minack in Cornwall which in the 90s it's still quite where they actually had the cottage is still quite remote for Cornwall Um, it was changed it was yep he wrote that as well Steve just pointed out a book that I've also put on the shelf behind to try and get people to read him. Um, And that, on the front cover, is a picture of the cottage. Um, It's been left to go back to the wilderness now, which I think is a lovely idea. But obviously in the 1950s, it was even wilder. Um, And they opened up a flower farm. I think they started growing daffodils and making a living doing that. And they took a cat with them which is an idea that Derek Tanji was not on board with at all at the time because he he hated cats, he decided. Um, He was a dog man through and through. And anyway, he's he's written loads of books. Some of them are just about their life in the cottage in general and the people that they work with, but a lot of them are about the animals in their life. Um, There are a series of books that are focused on the cats that they live with um, because he ended up... Loving cats and falling in love with a cat, and the in the book that I was actually going to speak about was his first cat book called A Cat in the Window, which is about a ginger cat called Monty, who his wife insisted they take to Cornwall with them, uh, which he he really really wasn't happy about. Um, you can't, and it's leave, you just, can't leave a pet behind. It's them. this slow. I think I think it was a friend's cat, <laughs> and she's right. like, "Well, we're going to this fantastic place. We've got to take it." Um, and it's this. This These books were always on the shelves when I was a kid, and my mum and dad had them, my auntie had them, because we're all cat lovers. And you read it, and it's the story of him basically slowly falling in love with this cat who does all the annoying things that cats do, and he realises that, you know, he has a personality. Ooh, I quite like him. And it's just, it's such a... You know what? Life is... As we all know, is just horrendous at the moment. You, I don't want to turn on the news at the moment. Yep. <laughs> I prefer to just bury my head in the sand, and these are the perfect books right. to do it. It's a li- a way of life that I can't imagine how it exists anywhere anymore. Where they've actually managed to, to, they actually have a make a living growing flowers, and basically that I'm, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining them. Really, that. He'll just tell a story about he'd be writing a page of his book and there's a robin who they give a name to and he comes and he hops and he sits on his shoulder while he's writing. <laughs> and they have a gull, a certain gull who goes to live on the roof and the funny stories to do with this gull.
1: My mother, honestly, we went to see my mum. This is the true story. My me mum's mom, me mad as asked her. If she ever hears this, she'll kill me. But my mum's mad as I said, look, we've been watching that gull. Over there, we've been watching, and it hasn't been there for two days. And she, I know, this is in the middle of, like, about 5,000 houses in the middle of Wallasey. I mean, mother, just the gull was her friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was similar, I mean, yeah. but in the middle of Wallasey. But it makes you
0: realise that animals, I mean, I love animals, but animals who you don't maybe attach much of a personality to do have them. And because they live in that situation, and at first it's just the two of them, you know, and at most, it's it's a couple of other people who work with them. They get such intense relationships with even these tiny little kind of sparrows and chaffinches and robins that they can tell their personalities. Um, but the cats are the real star of the show, mm. and they're just such feel-good books. And I know that if I'm in a bit of a reading rut or I'm feeling a bit rubbish, I know that if I read one, they're easy to read, and they just make me feel warm and cozy inside. That's good. Um, A croft in the hills Mm. is nostalgic in the same way. That's
1: by who? What's who? who?
0: That's a lady called Catherine Stewart, who did a similar thing. Her her husband and her daughter gave up. Just got. I know people have
1: been in here asking for books.
0: Oh, really? Well, she's written a few that are um, some that are more recent and more well known. Um, But this is basically a memoir, a bit like Derek Tanger's memoirs of them just giving up the rat race and going and moving to the hills around Loch Ness. However, crofting life is slightly tougher. <laughs> than, than a daffodil farm in Cornwall. But, but
1: I think that you kind of you kind of that would be your ideal I suppose well, you've well, been to Jura, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I picked George Orwell books in the podcast. You went to Jorah, didn't you with Orwell? Yeah, right.
0: it's amazing. We walked to Barnhill did, well, did you would you live just, there? Just, yes. Yes. If I didn't have any family yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately we're in you know, we're in the trap of everyone else who've yes. got children. It's not yeah. necessarily but it's a nice practical. dream, isn't it? Yeah, well that's actually what I, where the two come in come into kind of you know, you can compare them. So I've always loved both kinds of books because me and my partner kind of have this daydream of giving it all up and mm. sticking two fingers off and <laughs> moving to a remote yeah, island yeah. and cutting ourselves off from the world. But the fact of the matter is it isn't practical. Um and actually when I started to think about it, Derek Tanju was a prolific writer in his time. So I started to think, well, okay, well they're obviously doing all right with with the flowers, but he does mention in some of his books, he does start to talk about the competition that they get that they start to get from abroad and the fact that it's a lot harder you know, to sell the, their flowers at low prices and whatnot. I'm thinking, was it that sustainable or were they able to do it because it was writing? And Catherine Stewart similarly became a writer mm. when they moved and started crofting. She wrote columns, I think, for the BBC. Because I think
1: if you're relying on the, the weather... In this country, yeah, well, you have to do it outside. You spend a lot of time indoors. I don't know, you?
0: when I was younger, I used to think, oh, this is wonderful, it's this nostalgic 1950s, or oh, it's back in the day where you could do things like that. And I used to say to my partner, you could actually make a living from growing daffodils, but perhaps not perhaps you know because in the end and you know this is a bit of a downer i suppose they gave up catherine stewart and her family actually gave up the croft because it mm. was it was hard and you know they weren't able to kind of make a living and it it doesn't make you wonder whether it does make me wonder how people who live in places like that do but, have a but
1: these dreams even if even if maybe somewhere somebody's got a trust fund somewhere that's helping them do it these dreams are still things which can feed you even if you know you're never yeah. gonna and that's gonna why you do should that. read books yes yeah. because it fuels the imagination yeah. makes you think things are possible precisely precisely my, my dad used to read lots of dick francis books which are silly horse riding and there's a crime at a horse at stables every book is the same you know a horse is nobbled but all, all the heroes the in is horse is nobbled <laughs> But all they, I want, and I used to read them just because my dad had loads of them and I'd read them. But all they, I, want, I wanted to be the hero in each of the books because they didn't quite have to work, but they weren't rich. Yeah. But they didn't, you know, they had just enough to, and I, that was always my dream. But not on a, not in a stables, of course. But but I used to think, oh, I wonder how I could do that. I've kind of I've done it, I suppose. I don't, I haven't got enough money. <laughs> I <I'll> hardly do <laughs> it anything. Like- but if we
0: could all start writing books, then maybe yeah, we could maybe go and do laughs these laughs, things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I, de- I mean, like I said, they were. I think they became popular books in my family because of the cat thing. Right. Um, but all of his books are worth are worth okay. reading, and you know. So what's that book called? Well, his first book about Monty, who was the first oh, cat, the cat, is called A Cat in the Window. Right. But you just go. He's he's written loads of books. They sure, all yes. have a bit of a. There's a Drake at the door. A gull on the roof. <laughs> it's all very twee and nice. And There's nothing wrong with it's that. It's not fashionable, but it, they're lovely. They're comfortable. They're comfortable books.
1: So uh, thank you uh, to Lucy for coming telling us uh, about some of her favourite books. Uh, if you come in the shop to see, him, am sure she'll tell you about all the hundreds of others which she likes just as well, but didn't decide upon this time. So if you want to find out more about our community bookshop, you can go on Twitter and, sh- uh, and uh, search for George Street Community Bookshop or Facebook. Uh, do the same there. We have a website www.georgestreetcommunitybookshop.co.uk where you can see what we've been up to and you can read about our share offer which completed recently. Um, you can get involved in there's a fanzine that perhaps you can get involved with you can uh, sort out the previous editions of the podcast and uh, we hope that you come to listen to us again soon in the bookshop thank you in the bookshop the George Street Community Bookshop podcast
0: for book lovers everywhere